picture here was made at the American Cemetery in St. Laurent in France. The, the water you see in the background is English Channel. Uh, what you don't see over the little rise there is uh, Omaha Beach. <clears throat> Margaret and I were there in uh, 2001, and uh, some of you have heard me tell this before, mention it, but uh, on the way there we had a big argument. You might even call it a fight. Uh, although that is extremely rare for us. Uh, 38 years, I can really only remember two that, that stand out, that stay in the memory at all, and both of them were over very silly things, and both of them were in foreign countries. We do pretty well in the United States. Uh, I think we were arguing about which turn I was supposed to take to get there or something like that, but it escalated. Uh, and so when we got to the parking lot, we, uh, you know, we were just so steamed she went one way, I went another way. We didn't say a word to each other. And that's not how we normally roll. And about 15 minutes later, we happened to encounter each other. I say 15, it might have been 30, I don't know. We happened to encounter each other in the cemetery. And all the argument was gone. All of the, that was just, and probably it left about in the first 90 seconds after we walked into this place because... There was just such a, a presence, especially where it was, over Omaha Beach. And there was such a sense and just all of those row after row after row of crosses and Star of David. And each one had a name, a rank, a date, and a state where they were from. And while it didn't say the towns necessarily where they were from, Especially, you know, when I would come across one from Tennessee, I'd go, wow, I wonder, you know, Shebville, Gallatin, Dyersburg. And it was almost like you could hear the voices that were saying, uh, man, I, I, I wanted to go home and marry her. I just didn't make it back. You know, my dad wanted me to come home and take the farm, but somebody else ended up taking it. I didn't get to do that. And uh, there, was such a, there was such a reverence there. I've, I've been blessed to uh, not have to actually go to war, be in war myself. It, it got kind of close during the Vietnam era, but the Lord had other plans for me. So, and I was, I was thankful for that. But you don't actually have to go to war to learn some things, especially as you get older. And there's a couple things I know. Uh, one is that uh, people certainly have different opinions about war. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you mine, war is a terrible evil. Occasionally, it's a necessary evil. Um, it just is. Most of the time, it's not. Most of the time, it's about pride and political posturing and stuff like that. And I have my opinions about which wars fit into which category, and you have yours, and, and that's great because none of our opinions matter. God is the only one who knows which ones are which. But I also know this. The people who actually fight the wars, which are rarely the people who start them, people who actually fight the wars almost to a person 
don't want to be there. That's not, that's not their first choice for what they would be doing that day or that year or with their lives at that point in time. Uh, some of them do it because uh, they don't have any choice. Uh, some of them uh, do it out of a sense of duty. Some of them do it because they believe in a cause. But for whatever reason that they do it, uh, I believe that the underlying motivation and factor in, in why they're doing it is because of their concern and their love for the people who are back home. Uh, that they do believe in. That, that they do know about and care about. And not all of them make it back home. Um, some die courageously. Some die cowardly. Most just simply die in the line of duty. Uh, and it's certainly not up to us to judge which is which. That's totally in the hands of God. And war will continue until the Prince of Peace comes and the swords are beaten into plowshares and nations don't learn war anymore. But, and we should certainly pray for his soon return. But until that time comes, we should not forget those who, in the words of President Lincoln, gave the last full measure of devotion. And that's what this weekend is about. Uh, we're going to watch a brief video. It's about two, two and a half minutes long. And at the end of it, here's what I'd like to happen, because, you know, sometimes we have a tendency to applaud and everything, and, you know, that's great. But I think, you know, when we applaud, we also tend to feel a sense of release, and we don't need to feel a sense of release about this. I would like for those who have been in the military to stand up after this is over and we're going to be silent for a minute, 60 seconds. And you say, well, why are you having them stand? This is Memorial Day. They're, they're not, you know, they're here. Uh, they're standing for those who aren't here. Uh, many of whom, some of whom they knew. So would you bring the lights down and Let's do this.
please stand for a minute of silence. Thank you. Let's all stand and read some scripture together. Not until halfway through the festival did Jesus go up to the temple courts and began to teach. The Jews there were amazed and asked, how did this man get such learning without having been taught? Jesus answered, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There is nothing false about him. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet not one of you keeps the law. Why are you trying to kill me? You are demon-possessed, the crown answered. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus said to them, I did one miracle, and you are all amazed. Yet because Moses gave you circumcision, though actually it did not come from Moses, but from the patriarchs, you circumcise a boy on the Sabbath. Now if a boy can be circumcised on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses may not be broken, why are you angry with me for healing a man's whole body on the Sabbath? Stop judging by mere appearances, but instead judge correctly. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would give us ears to hear, that you'd give us hearts to understand, that you would give us the anointing of the Holy Spirit and unction of the Holy Spirit to live our lives in a way that brings glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, let me give you a little setup, a little, little background for this here. Last week we saw Jesus at what I said at the time was his lowest point, and it, it may have been in terms of, uh, of an acute situation as opposed to a chronic situation because he had just fed the 5,000 and walked on water and preached this great sermon and everybody left. Everybody, everybody went away. And uh, uh, if, if at any point Jesus was tempted to doubt uh, who he was and what he was here for, that was, it was probably at that point, I would say. Um, we often read the Bible, though, and we, uh, uh, we tend to think, um, ooh, it's not like... We, we, we tend to lose track of the fact that this happened in real time. I mean, we read this chapter and we go, okay, and then this chapter, we go, oh, well, you know, bam, bam. 
But that's not necessarily the way that it works. And so at the end of chapter 6, Jesus is at this very low point in his life, in, in, his, in his ministry. And, uh, and then chapter 7 comes along, and we don't know how long it's been. See, after, all, after everybody left, there was nothing to do but go home. I mean, if there's nobody to minister to, <laughs> uh, there's nobody to minister to. It's just that simple. Um, a leader isn't really a leader if nobody's following. And at this point, virtually nobody's following. And besides that, there were bills to pay and chores to do and fish to catch. And um, Simon Peter uh, certainly had a wife. So I suspect, you know, occasionally he went to see her. Um, I mean, we don't know how many of the disciples were married. And we don't really know, you know, we're never introduced to Simon Peter's wife, but he had a mother-in-law. And if you got a mother-in-law, you might as well get, you know, the good end of the deal as well. Uh, that's just, as I said in the early service, my mother-in-law doesn't attend church here. So there. Uh, and she's a, and she's, a, she's a sweet lady. Uh, we don't know. So, so Jesus goes home. We don't know how long he's there. And uh, it's one thing to have a bad day. It, it's something else to have a prolonged slump. You ever had a prolonged slump? Jesus did. How do I know? I know because Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. And that's one of our weaknesses. But, he, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. We aren't just tempted by money and immorality and power we're also tempted by, to just toss it in by prolonged discouragement, a, a prolonged slump that can happen. Uh, you know, if you, especially if you feel called into a particular area, you, it doesn't necessarily have to be uh, ministry in the church, but if you feel a calling, maybe you feel like you're, maybe you feel an, uh, an artist or a writer or something and you know, it's been 10 years now and you're flipping burgers and going, I, I thought I was a writer. I thought I was a dancer. I thought I was, that's what's inside of me. I must not be. That's, that's what that prolonged slump tends to have happen in our life. And so Jesus goes home and, you know, a family can be supportive. It can be the place where you go to heal. But if it isn't, then it's the place where you cannot heal. Does that make sense to anybody? You know, sometimes family can be the roughest on you. And the setup to this is, earlier in the chapter, um, it was time for the, uh, for the Jewish um, um, festival of, the tab of tabernacles. And Jesus' brothers come to him. And they say, leave Galilee and go up to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do. No one who wants to be a public figure acts in secret since you're doing these things. Show yourself to the world. And on the surface, that kind of sounds like, man, they are encouraging. They do. But the very next verse says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. And so that totally changes the tone with which those things would have been said to him. We don't really want you around here anymore. 
But since you're so great and you're so special, go up to Judea where all of those disciples that you have are so they can see the great things that you do. You know, it's pro- there are probably easier things to do, easier places to be raised than to be raised in the household where one of the brothers is the Holy One of God. Now, some of you may have been raised in a household where someone thought they were the Holy One of God. But in this case, he actually was. And while we know at least James came to believe in him later on, and hopefully all of his brothers did, if you've got brothers and sisters, you know how it is. And so I don't think this was an easy period for Jesus as he was recuperating, if you will, from that, from that low point in his life. Jesus doesn't rise to the bait, and I love it because Jesus never rises to the bait. He never, he never hits the bait when it goes in the water. He always lets it slide. It's always, you know, he says, it's, it's, my time has not yet come. He was always about the father's timetable. And you can imagine being the brother and you're gigging him, you know, and you're on to him about, well, you go up there and show him how great you are. And and he goes, well, my time has not yet come. And you turn to your brothers, you go, oh, it's that time has not yet come thing again. We've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. But his time had not yet come. However, it turned out that he did in fact go up to Jerusalem, but he didn't go up because his brothers told him to. He went up because God told him to, his father told him to. And he had several things to say. We're going to look at a few of those things. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. People didn't know what to make of Jesus. Some of them were saying he's a good man. Some of them were saying, uh, no, he deceives the people. Uh, They were divided about him. And so Jesus starts out with this. If you really want to know who I am, if you really want to know if if I'm a good man or if I'm from God... You've got to choose to do the will of God because that's how you find that out. Jesus didn't try to argue. He didn't try to make his case because that isn't how it works. I discovered pretty early on in my life that I was pretty good at arguing. And in fact, as a little kid, I discovered that. And it's real dangerous when a little kid learns that they're good at arguing. And by the time I was a teenager, I figured that, uh, I mean, in in addition to being good at arguing, I was a teenager. So I figured that I knew I was right about everything. Uh, And, and, uh, and the people who didn't agree with me just weren't listening because I'm, what I was saying made imminent sense. And it, and it took a while. I got a little, as I, as I got older for me to understand, oh, You can make anything sound like it makes imminent sense. Any side of any argument, you can take it, and if somebody will go with you on a couple of assumptions, you're there. And you can make it sound like it's right. But you learn the truth and you grow in wisdom and the knowledge of God, not by arguments, not by what sounds rational and everything you go by hearing and by doing by hearing God's word and doing God's word Um, when we get over to chapter 8 and you're familiar with this passage if you hold to my teaching you're really my disciples then you will know the truth 
and the truth will set you free. You, it's not, it doesn't say if you hear my teaching. It says if you hold to it, which means if you put it into practice in your life, then you'll know the truth. You'll know what the truth is. Hebrews 5.14, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And the context of that passage is uh, he's talking about the teaching that he, that he does and eating meat versus to just having milk. Uh, solid food is for those who by constant use. And, and we tend to think solid food is for those who've attended more conferences than everybody else. Or solid food is for those who've read more books than everybody else. Or heard more sermons or, knows, or listens to more Christian radio. It's none of that stuff. Solid food is for those who by constant use putting the word into their lives and actually beginning to see how this stuff works on the ground, how this, how this stuff works in the good times and, and the hard times and the, and the I don't know times and the most of the times, which are the in-between times of all that stuff. And so Jesus says here, anyone who chooses to do the will of God, ultimately you're going to find out whether my teaching comes from God or not. As I said last week, it's not enough just to be good. I mean, God is holy. I'm not. End of discussion. No one is good. Salvation requires faith. Faith, not faith to wow the crowd, but faith to believe the word and have it impact your life. Man doesn't live on bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God, faith comes from hearing, hearing by the the, the word of Christ. And when you hear the word and you combine it with actually putting boots on the ground, so to speak, in your life with regards to the word, then a wonderful thing happens. Ultimately, you get to the point, you start to be able to distinguish between God's word and a Buick advertisement. You start to be able to distinguish between God's word and a political action committee brochure. Say, well, people don't use God's word for those kind of things. They do all the time. You start to be able to distinguish between those. Jesus says, whoever seeks their own, whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. There's nothing false about him. One reason Jesus uh, isn't defending himself is because it doesn't work. But more importantly, it wasn't his mission. It wasn't his calling to defend himself or define himself or dignify himself. None of those things were the reason why he was here. He was here to do the will of the one who sent him and to bring glory to God. Isaiah 42, 2. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. He's talking about Messiah. Now, obviously, he doesn't mean that Jesus would not talk loudly. Because Jesus preached to 5,000 without a microphone. Okay? And there are times when it says on the, uh, I believe it's over in chapter 9. No, it's not 9. It must be 10. On the last and greatest day of the feast that he stood up and cried out in a loud voice. So what does it mean? means he's not promoting himself means he's not here to make people see him Isaiah 53 2 he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him nothing in his appearance that 
that we should desire him. Now, there's nothing wrong with being beautiful. I mean, I, all you got to do is look at my wife. And you know how I feel about beauty. It's how you get good-looking kids. And later on in Isaiah 61, he talks about Jesus coming to bestow a, a, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. The problem comes when we turn and focus the focus on ourselves, focus inward rather than outward towards God. I mean, that, there, there's so many things that start going wrong at that point in time, regardless of whether we think we're hot stuff or not hot stuff. If we think we're not hot stuff, that's a problem as well. But when we, when we think that we are, that's, that's, what, that's what Satan fell into. Ezekiel says, your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. Because it was now about you, and you, it can't be about you, and you be wise at the same time. When we seek glory for God, and not by fleshly efforts, I mean, that's how you get the crusades and things like that, but by his guidance and by his spirit, then we become a man or woman of truth. You don't become a woman of truth because you've because you've read more scripture than somebody else. You don't become a man of truth. I mean, reading the scripture is important. You know I feel that way. But that's not how you become a, a person of truth. You become a person of truth by seeking God's glory instead of your own. That is a, a, it's absolutely essential ingredient. I, I get so um, put off by Christian teachers who, who focus their followers on me, me, me. Now, when they say it, it's you, you, you. But by the time it gets to the other side... It has to become me, me, me. And it's wrong. Back in the mid-70s when I, when I came to the Lord, I went to a, I remember going to a service. I, I wanted to go to service every night. Every night, every day, just yum, yum, eat them up. Let's, let's have some of this. And I remember going uh, to a service one night, and it was, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting. It was, it was kind of, it was a real rah, rah kind of sales type, you know, yeah. And I remember leaving that service and going, God, what is it? He used scripture and, you know, he's talking about stuff that sounds good, but why do I feel like, why do I feel this is wrong? What, What is it? And what I really felt like he said to me, and, and it really set me free, is he said, whenever you, oops, whenever you go and someone is, is teaching about Jesus and supposed to be magnifying Christ, if you leave and your attention has been drawn away from Christ, it was wrong. If you leave and Christ has been magnified, it was right. Oh, that is so simple. That, that works. Even I can understand that. Get a hold of that. Jesus said, judge correctly. Not by what you see. It's no accident that justice is symbolized as being blind or at least having a blind fold and sometimes as, as both because that's the only way justice can be, can be meted out. As Christians, we're not charged with judging others. In fact, we aren't supposed to judge others. 
You know, Matthew 7, 1, do not judge, uh, or you too will be judged. We are, however, supposed to judge things, especially as they relate to our own lives. Uh, 1 John 4, 1, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Whenever... Uh, Whenever someone comes with a teaching, um, I, don't, I don't judge that person, but I do judge that teaching. You know, and if the teaching is, is, if it really is just all wrong or all messed up, that doesn't, I don't have the right to walk away and say, well, that's a bad person. No, that just, I don't know how they got there, but that is bad teaching. And I, and I can go there. I can go there with that. Once again, Hebrews 5.14, solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Well, if, if you're not supposed to judge things, you don't need to distinguish good from evil. But we do. We do judge things. And in the natural, in the natural we have an obvious tendency toward blind spots with the, with the things that we see. And especially when it comes to religion. And talking to the religious leaders, Jesus said, you, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. And we all do it. And, and, and really, it's, it's so true. You'll, there, there'll be this, this tiny little thing that you're just so focused on and going, nah, you can't have that, or we got to have that, or whatever it is. And you're, you're, you're paying so much attention to be sure there are no gnats in my diet that camel comes along and, nope. Oh, We'll take it down in one gulp. Because we've got these, we've got these areas that we don't, that we don't tend, tend to see. And Jesus was calling one out here. He's saying, you know, I, I, did, I, I healed a man on the Sabbath. And now you want to kill me. Moses said to circumcise on the eighth day. If the eighth day after a boy is born falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and circumcise him. That's work. But I can't heal somebody on the Sabbath and make their body whole. And we, we have a tendency to we have a tendency to set up silly things like that. And as a as a rule, it it quite frankly, such inconsistencies keep many away from the kingdom. What should we do? Just let anybody in? Yeah. Maybe something like whosoever will. All who are thirsty. Any who are hungry. Yeah, but what if they're not? That's, God will take care of that. I'm supposed to love them. I'm supposed to love them. You can't judge by mere appearance. We're not any good judging anyway. Uh, you've probably heard the phrase, if it looks like a duck and walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, must be a duck, unless it's a man in a duck outfit that is walking funny and quacking. What about angels? If it looks like an angel, sings like an angel, flies like an angel, must be a Maybe not. Yeah, of course. Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. So it, it's not, we can't go by just 
what we see. From the very beginning, we've had this issue in, in the Garden of Eden. It says that Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and, and desirable for gaining wisdom. And man, it looks so good. Let's have some of it. And Lot, uh, when he and Abraham separated, Abraham said, you know, you got so much stuff, I got so much stuff. The land can't support us anymore. You choose which way you want to go. I'll go the other way. Lot looked and saw the well-watered plains of the Jordan. Nice cities down there. I think that's the direction I should go. And then it says, this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And it works the other way. It works the other way around. You know, we despise things sometimes. David uh, was not by any means the, uh, uh, the most obvious choice among his brothers to be king. Samuel comes to Jesse, says, I'm going to anoint one of your, one of your sons as king. Jesse starts parading his, his handsome, strong, strapping young men in front of him. And God says, don't, don't look at them. Don't look at the outside. That's not how I judge. And they all go by. <laughs> and, and Samuel goes, have you got another son? Have you ever gone shopping and went home and left your kid? <laughs> I mean, or gotten in the car. Maybe you didn't get all the way home. Maybe you just got in the car and went, where's... Didn't we have... <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, as long as nobody's sitting out there going, oh, that was eight years ago. You know. uh, no, he says, um, you got another son? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I do. He's out there. He's, uh, what we see is not how we judge. And yet, we're so tempted to. The one who had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him is the Holy One of God. It's the Savior of the world. Is the one to whom we can entrust all judgment. We carry such a weight of judgment around with us. And we don't realize how much it burdens us. And if we could just get to the point where we could kind of go, I think this is yours and not carry it anymore and just focus on him and love him and let him decide there's a freedom there's a lightness there's a there's a joy that's there there's life that's there and we can entrust our lives into his hands and whether we're in a slump or whether we're on the top of the mountain, whether our brothers believe in us or don't believe in us, he is our hallelujah. Would you stand with me? Would those who are going to pray with people come forward? And, you know, usually when people come down for prayer, they, they come down because um, 
of an acute situation going on in their life. Man, I've got bad news. I got, you know, my, I'm being laid off on my job. I got, the doctor gave me a bad report. I, you know, my girlfriend broke up with me. Well, you know, and, and those are certainly legitimate reasons to come. But I, I believe that the Holy Spirit says things, plants things intentionally. And so I'm quite certain that there are some people here today who you've been in a slump so long, you don't even know it's a slump anymore. And if, if that's the case and the Holy Spirit has revealed that, touched that point in your life, that's something you need to bring to Jesus uh, as well. So I'm just, just reminding you of that. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, we'd love to introduce you to him. We're going to worship for a few moments. We'll wait for you. You come. You come. Restore us, O Lord God Almighty. Make your face shine upon us that we may be saved and we may be saved. Make your face shine upon us. Shine upon us. Your face shine upon us. 
raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. May the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world, not to defend himself, but to bring glory to the Father. May he give you the grace to bring him glory. May he give you the grace that you need to incorporate his word into your life so that you may have wisdom and so that your life may be filled with his presence through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.